Good evening, Church. My name is Letu. I am part of the staff here at Christchurch Midrand, and I work in the teens ministry. So today we'll be doing our Bible reading, which is from John 9, from verse 1 to 41. It's behind me on the screens there. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man, this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he pointed to the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. So they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day, and when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked him again how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put mud in my, on my eyes, and I washed it, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do, you say, what do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and, that, and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know, that, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for, for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner, he answered. Whether he is a, a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? They reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of, of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his, his will, God listens to him. Never since, the world, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could, not do, he could, do, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, 
Who is, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening once again, church. It is great to be um, together, to hear from God's word. I, I hope that you'll keep your uh, Bible open to that um, passage. Uh, this evening we're going to be engaging with that as we end of our series, as said, uh, our series in uh, the anatomy of sin. And this is what we've done if you're joining us for the very first time. Uh, we've looked at sin from all different angles um, so as to understand uh, how to engage with it uh, and to understand how the gospel uh, of Jesus, the good news that Jesus saves us, um, applies uh, to our sin and how we can grapple with it in our everyday lives. So if you've missed that, uh, you can go onto our website um, to um, to catch that. Um, I'm going to pray for us. It is quite a long passage, uh, and uh, 41, uh, so we'll be out here by 10 o'clock. <laughs> um, so let's pray. God would help us as we end off uh, this um, this series. And tonight, really, as we end it off, one of the things that we're going to see is that uh, this kind of um, anatomy, this kind of metaphor that the Bible uses relates uh, specifically to how religion blinds us. Okay, so let's pray, and then we're going to engage with God's Word. Father, thank you so much for... This your word. Uh, thank you that uh, it is relevant. It is a life uh, that it changes us. And we've been challenged so much, even as Kaya has said. Uh, and I pray that you challenge us again to not be complacent, uh, but to wake up and adopt a posture um, of readiness uh, and of dependence on you. I pray that none of what I say would be condemning, but would call somebody to run to the grace that we've been singing about this evening. This we pray in Jesus' name and for our good. Amen. Amen. Um, now, one of the things I have uh, not embraced and fully embraced is the fact that I cannot really see. Um, so those who know me very well know that I, I wear glasses, but I've rejected this um, this thing over and over again. In fact, so much so that I've lost one pair before the two years um, checkup that I'm due for. And so a couple of weeks ago, I went to to UJ Optometry, uh, thanks to Kate, who introduced me to cheap um, uh, alternatives. Um, so I went there, got a new uh, new prescription and guess what i don't know where my where my glasses are i got a new pair of glasses i don't know where they are if you work with us and you see them uh please uh, direct them direct me to to those but i haven't really accepted the fact that i'm blind and i cannot see that i'm growing older and vision is is just deteriorating. It's very hard. I always associated, and sorry if you wear glasses, um, I always associated wearing specs with weakness. And, and perhaps that's, uh, <laughs> that's, I'm not saying you are, that's, uh, that's what I, I, I believed. Uh, and perhaps that's why I don't, 
um, accept that fact. But let me tell you a story about how I found out that I, I couldn't see. Um, it was uh, a few years back, I think about 2018, I was visiting Cape Town and I was hanging out with Reggie, those my, uh, who have been with us know Reggie. Uh, Reggie, we were at, out at, at, a, at a restaurant and he looked at the wall and started laughing. Um, so I'm, I look at him and I'm like, what are you, what are you laughing at? Um, and then he said, Dad, can't you see that? Uh, it was a blackboard uh, written with um, a, a white chalk, and I could not see anything. So I'm, I'm disputing this thing. I'm like, there's nothing there. <laughs> like, that thing is blank. Uh, and he says to me, well, take my glasses. Perhaps uh, they will help you see. And then I took those glasses, put them on, and for the very first time it dawned on me that I am blind. Um, that's the first time I went to the optometry um, to go check it out. And since then, I wear glasses, or I have not accepted the fact that I should wear glasses um, to be able to uh, to see. Um, and it is, I think, in that moment when I, I came to realize that you can be convinced of something so much, uh, you can be willing to die for this thing, uh, and yet um, be completely wrong. Um, you can be convinced that uh, you see properly, uh, that you see well, uh, yet be completely, completely blind. And that's what we see in our passage. We see the way sin works in the lives of people. We see the nature of uh, how sin blinds us to our blindness. And that is, I think, one of the most dangerous, uh, one of the most powerful uh, effects uh, that sin has, uh, to be able to blind us from our own blindness. Uh, that the worst form of blindness is to be convinced that I can truly see. <laughs> I can truly see, uh, but in reality, you are as blind as anything. And that's what we're going to see in our passage this evening, as Jesus engages with religious people, uh, as John depicts to us who Jesus is, and as he tries to convince us of uh, following him. That's the, the aim that John has in writing this, um, um, this book. Uh, we're going to see that the worst form of blindness is being convinced that you can see, even though uh, you are blind. Uh, and the worst form of this is religion, because um, it is quite clear to to us, if you look at the five um, sermons that we did in the anatomy of sin, they speak about overt sin, and very often it's easy to see sin that um, that is quite overt, that's in your face, uh, the sins that we struggle with, but the most, um, the most powerful sin and dangerous of all is to be close to, to Jesus, uh, yet be so far away. And I think many of us who call themselves Christians, we can easily fall into, in fact, we do easily fall into that trap of not recognizing our religiosity, not recognizing our morality, not recognizing the fact that very often we think that our performance can make us more acceptable to God, or that somehow God is more in love and more interested in a future version of yourself that is more godly, more obedient, um, very often it is hard to miss the grace of God in our lives and revert back to um, rejecting him 
can reject him as a rebel, <laughs> outwardly sinning, uh, but you can also reject God in a form of morality, performing your way towards him, thereby saying, I don't need your grace. Um, I can do it on my own. Uh, and so that's what we're going to see. Um, turn with me to John before we, um, even if I, before I give you the structure, turn to John chapter 20, just so you see what, um, what John is trying to show us, um, and the kind of Jesus that we see in John's gospel. John chapter 20, this is the purpose of the book of John. Verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Uh, so John calls the miracles that Jesus does in the, in John's gospel signs. Signs are some things that point to something else, right? If you have a sign that says Rustenberg, that is not Rustenberg. That is Jobeg. You should run away from Jobeg. You should drive to Rustenberg. That is the glory and where everything dwells. Amen. Yeah. Um, so signs are pointing to something else. And in John's gospel, what Jesus does, does not point to, that is not the real thing, right? Uh, he's pointing to something else. Uh, so John says, Jesus did many of these signs that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Jesus, the man who lived in Palestine, is the Christ. Christ simply means uh, the anointed one, the one who is chosen by God to be king and to be ruler, uh, the son of God, one who is uh, from God, who came to forgive people. He's writing so that people will be convinced that Jesus is that is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And throughout John's gospel, John tells us what that life looks like. In chapter 2, he gives it to us. Uh, that life looks like uh, presence with God. It is like a wedding feast. Uh, that's what we see. In chapter 3, we see that this kind of life, the only way to receive it is if you are changed, as we sang, from the inside out. Uh, you need to be born again. You need to come to the end of yourself and come to realize that you can't work your way towards your a relationship with Jesus. That is chapter 3. And then chapter 4, we see a woman who is searching for it in the arms of men, this true life, this life of satisfaction. And Jesus, or rather John, uses the picture of water and satisfaction um, to tell us uh, about this true life. So on and on in John's gospel, we see this kind of life. And right here in chapter 9, what we see is that this people who Jesus came to do not recognize who he is, and thereby they're going to miss out on the life that he has to offer. And that's the very thing that sin does in the lives of people. It blinds them to their blindness. It convinces them that they can, we can see properly, and thereby rejecting Jesus and the grace that he offers. May we not find ourselves there. May we, as we read John chapter 9, be opened, may our eyes be opened to see the grace um, of Jesus. So that is uh, what John says, um, and that is Jesus. And across John's gospel, you see different responses. And those who are sinful, 
often accept the offer of this eternal life. But those who are religious tend to push away Jesus. Um, and that is, I think, the worst form of sin. Sin, when it has convinced us that we are self-sufficient, uh, we don't need, need God. And the danger is there. You know where the danger is? <laughs> the danger is when you get to that space, when you get to a place where you come to church, man, you serve um, everywhere, you've been going to Bible study, and as you grow as a Christian, there are so many overt sins that you let go of. And then you start building up uh, the spirit of being a Pharisee, being self-sufficient, uh, and looking at other people as if they are worse than you, comparing yourself to them, and building up a list of things that you do um, to make yourself acceptable, acceptable to God. And Jesus... When he steps into the scene, he challenges this religiosity. So much so that in chapter 8, it ends off with them wanting to put him to death. So much so that at the end of his life, Jesus, as he's 33-year-old, is put to death because he comes to challenge religious people. I can almost imagine Jesus, if he were to live in Midrand, if he came to Midrand, he'd be staying at Sandridge Heights there. Um, He'll be driving a polo Vivo. Um, he works at a furniture shop, uh, his father's business. Um, and he would be, you would think, if he were to come to Christ Church Midrand, he would say some things that would really touch us and, and not in a good way. Uh, things that would really, I'm like, Jesus, what do you mean that we cannot see? Have a look at chapter 9, verse 35 to 41, as Jesus engages with um, the Pharisees. Notice the kind of thing that he says uh, to them. If you were to preach that kind of thing uh, to um, a church on a Sunday, um, uh, people would be offended at that. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, um, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Uh, so he's talking to the blind man, the one who just received sight, and very often people who have just received from Jesus, who have nothing to offer, who are in desperate positions, those are the very ones who come to recognize Jesus. Um, verse 36, so he asked him, uh, him, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, uh, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Notice the panda, you've seen him. Uh, he's opened his eyes to see Jesus. Verse 39, and Jesus said, this is quite contrary to what I would think Jesus came for. For judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him had near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Verse 41, And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you you would have no guilt. But now that you say, listen to what they're saying, we see your guilt remains. Uh, So Jesus says to these people who are religious, who are so convinced that they can see, that because you think you can see, um, you don't realize that you are blind uh, to your blindness. It is true, isn't it, uh, that the most helpless or rather 
people who are beyond help are those that don't even know or don't even accept that they need to be helped. It's very hard to try to pull some somebody out from danger if they don't realize that they are actually in danger, isn't it? And very often in Scripture, the Pharisees, um, they fall into this category. Uh, the Pharisees are the good guys, in fact. Um, if you read this in the first century, you'd be shocked that these guys who obey God to the T, that Jesus would say this about them, uh, that they are blind. Have a look again in um, from verse 39. Uh, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. Uh, this guy who didn't see has now seen uh, uh, Jesus. And those who see may become blind. These Pharisees who have physical sight but cannot see Jesus for who, who he truly is. Um, those who think that they don't need this Jesus because they can see they will become blind. What does Jesus mean by that? Um, what does he mean that he come, came to judge, for judgment he came? Um, it simply means uh, that the news that Jesus comes to bring divides people into two. There are those who come to recognize that I need Jesus because of my brokenness and my sin. Oh, sorry, by the way, I'm not saying this group. Uh, I was going <laughs> to just say this way. Uh, so he came to separate uh, between those who see, right? Are uh, you with me? Um, and those who would then reject him, and those are the very ones um, who do not see him. When Jesus comes into this world, he proclaims a message, a message that says, only I can give you life. Only I am the true light. Only I am the bread of life. Across um, John's gospel, you see this. The only way to the Father is through me. Um, so he's come to bring that news. And guess what? There's different responses. And because of those different responses, ultimately, those who reject that they need Jesus um, will face his judgment. Uh, but those who come to recognize, and I hope perhaps you are new to church, you are new to the Christian faith, that you come to recognize that you can come to Jesus just as you are. Uh, that those are the very people who actually see because they know that they are desperate, in desperate need um, to see see God. So let's quickly have a look at this story as to how Jesus brings about that separation between those who think they see and those who, this guy, who now truly sees. Let's step into that story. Yes, I'm going to quickly look at it. I have 22 minutes, and the reason why I'm timing is because we've been going on and on and on. Amen. You'd be pleased um, that I'm not going to go on for too long. Um, number one, I'm going to tell you the story, and then secondly, show you how it relates to sin. And then we just want to do what they do in K53, which I love. I hated um, testing for my license, right? Um, I hated learning how to drive. But one of the things that I love about K53 is that final step that you do. What is the final step that you do when you're about to turn? Somebody? You can say it with your chest. What? Cold drink. (laughs) 
Okay, buying cool drink is an illegal thing. Uh, that's another sermon for another day. But you do what if you check your blind spot? Gareth, you passed uh, your license. I can see. Um, checking your blind spot means it's, it will save your life, and that's what we want to do. We want to look at this story. We want to see how it works itself out, um, and then we want to find ways to diagnose um, if, if indeed, if you are here and perhaps you think, what if I'm blind? Um, this will help us in engaging afresh with the message of the gospel. Let's have a look at that story once again. Um, quickly, so this man who's born blind, the disciples asked Jesus, um, did he sin? Did his parents sin? Because back in the day, they believed that if you were born with a misfortune, it was probably somebody, it was because of sin. So now if this guy is born blind, who sinned? Um, but Jesus doesn't answer that. He says it's not this man who sinned, uh, nor his parents, but he is blind because God is about to do something great in his life. Uh, and indeed, at the end of the story, we see that he spits on the ground. This is the Sabbath day. You're not supposed to do anything uh, on the Sabbath. He does something that is so un-Jewish. Uh, as he spits on the ground. I don't know why he does that. It is weird. Uh, but it, 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 it basically all that he does is that he's stepping on the toes of religious people, uh, working, doing something on the Sabbath, spitting on the ground, uh, sending this man to the, the river called Sand, and then puts, um, he goes to wash and then he comes back seeing. And I, I'd encourage you after this to go check out the different ways to be blind. Apparently, blind people don't see just darkness. There's different forms of that, of blindness. And we don't know much about um, this man and his blindness. But what we do know is that life must have been hard for him. Uh, living in that world, um, it wasn't like our world where there's social welfare, uh, that if you're born with a disability, uh, we look to you to employ you first. Um, it wasn't like that. There was no Braille. Um, if you're born blind, you notice uh, in chapter 8, in verse 8, uh, that he was begging. You were dependent on other people. And this is a great picture, right? Um, not the blindness itself, but a great picture of the kind of people Jesus wants. People who are here. Like, I don't have anything. I'm helpless, Jesus. Help me. Uh, and so this is the man, this is his story, Jesus heals him, and then we have investigators, um, ANN7, uh, we have um, ENCA, we have the SABC News, coming to figure out what just happened. Um, and if indeed this man is healed, what do we make of this guy called Jesus? What do we make of this guy who's been saying all sorts of um all sorts of uh, things. Have a look at verse 8 uh, as the first, um, the neighbors come to ask him questions. And the, na- and neighbors, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar, these are guys who grew up with him, saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Verse 9, some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. Um, he kept he kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, how then were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus came, uh, did, made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go 
to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Notice the Pharisees, uh, verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the men who had been, who had formerly been blind. Uh, so these are the respected guys. Uh, and to, they brought them, they brought him to them so that they can verify if this miracle is true and if it is from God. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. This is taboo. Verse 15. So the Pharisees again asked him, how how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, same story, and washed me. Some Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. This is blindness right there. Uh, keeping the Sabbath to these guys is more important than the wellness of this man, than the life that this man has received. They're not rejoicing at the fact that Somebody who was born blind and a beggar can now see. They are more concerned with their religious observations. The Sabbath that was meant for men to enjoy God, uh, they are now using it as a rule that um, cannot divide people into two. Uh, so we see gradually as you read the story that the Pharisees move from almost not seeing but blindness to extreme blindness. I have a look at verse 17. So they said again to him, to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said he's a prophet. You see that this man starts off with saying Jesus is a prophet and ultimately recognizes that he's actually the son of God, the Messiah, that his eyes are opened more and more as you read the text. Have a look at verse 18. The Jews did not believe. You see, they becoming more blind uh, as we read on the story. They did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called their parents. Let's call in their parents. They asked their parents, what's, is this your son? Uh, so because they know now that he's received sight, he was blind. Uh, now he can see. They want to, they're not interested in validating the story. They're more interested in saying that Jesus is not who he claims he is. They're more interested in disproving that this is truly what happened. Have a look at verse 19, and they, and they ask them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents now, they like, okay, if we say anything about this Jesus, we're going to get in trouble. Uh, so they say, he's an old man. Ask him. Ask him. Ask him. Verse, uh, verse 21. But how is it that he now sees? We did not, we do not know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for, for himself. Verse 22. Uh, John tells us that they feared the Jews. This is why they said this. Um, verse 24. Let's jump over to that. So for the second time they called the men who had been Blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, that is Jesus, so they're not recognizing who Jesus is. And he answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know is that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to open to uh, your eyes? And he's now getting frustrated, verse 25. 
27, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And they are now enraged. As he says this, verse 28, And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are the disciples of Moses. They think that they can see. We follow Moses. We obey the Ten Commandments. Therefore, we can see. It is very easy, isn't it, to be so convinced that you can see, yet be so blind. That the people who don't recognize that they need help are the most, um, are those ones uh, who will never receive, receive it. Uh, verse 29, we know that this, that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Um, this guy says, basically, consider the fact that this miracle has never, never has a man been born blind and then was able to see. Surely that is from God. And notice again, as this man grows warmer and warmer to Jesus, as his eyes are more opened, the Pharisees, those who would be, we would consider that they are closer to God, move further and further away from God. Verse 32, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. This is what they call in uh, in logic um, ad hominem, ad hominem, like attacking the man. Um, so if your argument doesn't stand, uh, you say, but what do you know? What do you know? You're not engaging with the actual uh, argument that's been presented. The argument is, nobody has ever healed a blind man. Surely you should listen to Jesus. Surely you should give him space. Surely you should believe in him. Um, but instead of listening to that, they become more blind because they're more interested in disproving who Jesus is. They attack them in. It's like when you have an argument with your friend and they bring out the trump card. Oksalayo. <laughs> I don't know how to translate that, um, that word. Uh, but it is like one that just dismantles any argument. It's not actually an argument itself, but it is again attacking them in. It doesn't matter what you say. Um, we are convinced, um, or that we can see. Verse 34, and they answered him, you were born in Artisan, and what would you teach us? And they cast him, cast him out. And that, those few verses, um, that we read, this is how Jesus responds, responds to them. Uh, so that's our story, and I think our story teaches us about the nature of our faith, if you are a believer, that it is quite possible to be so close to God, or to think that you're close to God, but be so far away. Religion has a way of convincing us that we can somehow get closer to God by our obedience. By obeying Moses, this man thought that they would be um, pleasing to God, that they would be the ones who know it all. Uh, yet at the same time, they were the feathers uh, from God. Now, let me read you um, a quote by C.S. Lewis. 
um, that captures this so well. He's English. Uh, he uses um, fancy Oxford English. Um, I'm from the township, so we're going to help each other out here, okay? Amen. <laughs> he talks about um, the overt sin and kind of the things that we grapple with um, that we don't often see, which is religion. Um, he says that the sins of the flesh are bad, but they are the least bad of all sins. So all the stuff that we spoke about for the last couple of weeks, they bad, right? And we need to take our stand against them. But they not the worst kind of sins. All the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. The pleasure of putting other people in the wrong, of boasting and patronizing, of uh, spoiling fun and backbiting, the pleasure of power and hatred. For these two things, these are the two things that are inside me, competing with the human self, which I must try to become. The human self is basically the picture of this life that Jesus wants us to live, of being truly human. The way, the only way for us to be truly human is if we believe in Jesus and allow him to transform and reshape our lives. Uh, and, and, and C.S. Lewis says that there's these two natures in us that are fighting against that which God wants us to become. The animal self and the diabolical self. He doesn't explain the difference between those two, but he says that the diabolical self is the worst of the two. That is why a cold, self-righteous prig, prig is a word that means somebody self-righteous. I thought it was the other word, which is a cuss word. Um, a self-righteous prig is basically someone who's self-righteous, who uh, self-righteous. He says, that is why a cold, self-righteous prig who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. But of course, it is better to be neither. Because that's how sin works itself out in our life. That there's often natures, there's natures within us um, that fight um, against what God would want us to be. Um, it is the overt sins um, but also sometimes, very often, it is those uh, sins that we don't often see, uh, those sins of coming to church, those sins of measuring ourselves up against other people. Because once you do that, once you measure yourself up against the person sitting next to your left, look at the person sitting on your left, look at the person sitting on your right. Those people are, they look nice, don't they? Um, amen. They are sinners. <laughs> and once you compare yourself to somebody who's a sinner and not to the perfect standard of God, it is quite easy to find yourself better than them, isn't it? Um, to look at them and they become your way of justifying yourselves. And that is what the Pharisees in some ways did. Those good guys, those religious guys, they measured themselves against other people. In comparison to them, we are obeying the law to the T. In fact, we added more laws to be more obedient. It is very easy to come to this space, especially if you stay long in the Christian faith, to see yourself better than other people, to see the big sins and tick them off the list, but not realize that Sin is bigger than those. 
that yes, you can be pure and keep yourself pure sexually and still still suffer with pride. And that is that pride is the most uh, the most ugliest thing before God, right? It is equally sin, um, and that's the that's how sin works to blind us. Now, Tim Keller has this helpful thing that he does where he contrasts religion with morality. And I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful. I'm going to read a few of those uh, so that we recognize them. This is when we check the blind spot, mirror, mirror, blind spot. This will help you check your blind spot. Um, Perhaps you are a Christian. Perhaps you've fallen into believing that religion can save you. Religion says, according to Kela, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The Pharisees said they obey Moses, therefore they are accepted. Why should they listen to this prophet? The gospel says I'm accepted, therefore I obey. That is the good news that Jesus came to bring into our world, that we can be accepted by God, not because of anything we do. Religion says motivation is based on fear and insecurity. Gospel motivation is based on a grateful joy. You obey because you love God, because he first loved you. There's a suit to him that says, I love God because he first loved me. That is the gospel. Um, Religion says, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I'm angry with God and myself since I believe, like Job's friends, that anyone who is good deserves a comfortable life. The gospel says, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I struggle, but I know that while God may allow this for my training, he will exercise his fatherly love within my my trial. Now, this uh, this one relates to how we relate to other people. Uh, it says that when I'm criticized, I'm furious or devastated because it is essentially for me to think of myself as a, it is essential rather, for me to think of myself as a good person. Threats to this, that self-image must be destroyed at all costs. Very often what sin does it leads us to religion, and what religion does uh, makes us very conscious of our self-image. And once we live in that space, we struggle to receive loving criticism, right? We use words and trump cards like, don't judge me, to shut off anybody who lovingly wants to encourage us. The gospel says, when I'm criticized, I struggle, but it is not essential for me to think of myself as a good person. My identity is not built on my performance, but on God's love for me in Christ. Um, He goes on to say that very often when our confidence, um, our confidence before God is often based on our performance. So in what moments will you be convinced to go to church, to hang around Christians? Well, if it's, 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 it's if you've done well. If I've done well during the week, I'm more confident to stand and lift up my hands uh, to God and say, thank you, Jesus, 
for your love. I'm more confident to fellowship with Christians because I don't feel like uh, there's this thing hanging over me, this sin hanging over me. And that is religion. Religion says, if I've performed, then I'm good enough for God. Then I'm more accepted in God's eyes. But the gospel is not like that. The gospel that we've come to remember as we come to the Lord's table is that Jesus came to live the life that you and I were supposed to live and to die a death that you and I were supposed to die, uh, to bring us to fellowship with God. Uh, and we can stand before God and say, thank you, Jesus, that we are accepted but more so, we can live in relation to other people without holding on to our self-image uh, because this God has died for us. He's the one who gives it to us. He's the one who gives us acceptance and dignity. Amen. If we haven't come to realize that, if we don't come with hands like that, we'll fall into the trap that we think we see, but we don't see at all. Now, here's three questions to kind of work that out during this week to kind of further diagnose this thing. One is, how do you respond to other people's sin? When someone does something, perhaps an area of your life where you are strong in, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to that? Very often, if we are blind, if we are, we've given ourselves to idolatry, not idolatry, religion, we will respond in anger. We will make it about us. How can he not tell me that he did that? We make it about us. We are angry at the fact that he sinned. Number two, when do you first, when do you feel like you can hang around Christians? When do you best feel like, Chucks, I'm comfortable today. I can, I can go to Bible study. That is a measure of whether or not we've believed the gospel. If you think, man, I'm too filthy to go to that Bible study. I'm too filthy today to go to church. Then sin has blinded you of the fact that, yeah, because you're sinful, you need to be here. Amen. So that's the first thing. How do you respond to other people's sins? Secondly, when do you most feel confident to be around other Christians? Lastly, um, when was the last time the Bible said something that you were not comfortable with? When was the last time Jesus said something where you like, I don't really like what Jesus is calling me to? Because if that hasn't happened then you ought to ask yourself a question. Perhaps you become too comfortable uh, with Jesus. Let me pray for us that God will help us. Um, I hope that you remember that all of that was to lead us to the grace of God, the grace that Jesus offers, the grace that as Rafa leads us uh, during communion, we are going to remember. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for... This series, thank you that you've encouraged us to take a posture of readiness as we think about sin. Thank you for this evening uh, as you came to convince us of who Jesus is, um, that he is uh, the one who's come to open up our eyes. 
I pray, Lord, that we would never be so convinced that we we don't need you. We would never be so convinced that we can work our way to you. We would never be so convinced um, that our performance is good enough to please you. We would never be so convinced that for us to be called your children is based on our performance. I pray that we would come to your table even as we come to your table, knowing that we are only children because of what you've done. I pray that you dismantle the power that sin has over our lives, that we'll be able to bring it before other people because we don't fear our self-image and our religion, but we trust in the finished work of Jesus at the cross. Um, Father, thank you. Thank you for this series. I pray that you'd be with us even as we remember the Lord's Supper. Amen.